You are now listening to the Hack My Age podcast, the show that brings you guests for biohacking women over 50. I'm your host, Zora Benamou, a gerontologist, digital nomad, certified sports nutrition, and breathing coach. I'm the author of the Longevity Master Plan, the cookbook, Eating for Longevity, and a new upcoming energy reboot program for women over 50. Now, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, and I would really appreciate it if you could please leave a review on Apple Podcasts to help others find us too. This is a really small but very critical gesture that makes a huge impact for me to support a podcast for older women, help us grow stronger, get our voice out there, and attract even more amazing guests to the show for you and for me. This episode is sponsored by Oxford HealthSpan, the creators of my favorite supplement, Primadine. I admit it, I am a total supplement junkie, but if I had to choose only one, it would be this one. And it's because Primadine is spermidine, and this is shown to activate autophagy, which is super important. Now, this is a cellular cleanup and recycling process that declines as we age. So as we get older, our cells accumulate a lot of junk and waste, which isn't good for our cells, our health, nor our longevity. So we need to clean it up. And if you want the research on this, go to OxfordHealthSpan.com and you can see all of it, showing how spermidine supports our brain, our hormones, and our heart health. And another great side effect is stronger hair, skin, and nails, but also longer eyelashes. But, you know, the real important reason why I love Primadine is because I have never, ever received as much feedback on a product I recommended as I have with Primadine. Literally every week, someone reaches out to me on Facebook or Instagram with an amazing testimonial. And... Most of the time, it's about improved sleep. And even some of you told me it's reversed a bit of your gray hair too. So I find that totally amazing. So I can honestly say with 100% certainty that Primadine is the best spermidine supplement you'll ever find. And you can try it with a 15% discount by using the code Zora, Z-O-R-A, on OxfordHealthSpan.com. Just be sure to get back to me with your results too. Now enjoy the show. Before we start the show, I am so excited to announce that we are having another group menopause class starting October 1st. This one is all about optimizing our energy. So if you're feeling tired all the time and, and wanna learn how to hack it, then this program is for you. Now you can join me and 20 other fabulous women from around the world to go through the four week program together and we get to meet live on Zoom every week to keep you accountable and answer your questions. And if you grab a spot now, you can get a discount of 30% with the code EARLYBIRD on the hackmyage.com website where you're going to find the Menopause Energy Reboot Program. But if you have to hurry because the offer is good only until September 12th. So the women who already went through the program not only got more energy, but as a byproduct, they got more muscle and strength. They burned more fat. They sleep way better. They feel more in control and they learned what to expect in this menopause transition and how to hack their way out of it. 
But if you cannot wait, then you can also follow the program alone without my guidance and go at your own pace. And the program is also on the hackmyage.com website. And if you got questions, just shoot me a message on the site and I'll have links to all the programs in the show notes. So now let's get started with the show. Well, we have been trying to get our next guest on the show for the last year, and we now finally made it. Dr. Felice Gersh is here with us today to clear all the confusion we have about hormone therapy and menopause. And we'll talk about the risks and the benefits, the alternatives, and what a woman going through the menopause transition needs to know to make the best decision on hormone therapy for herself or not. So Dr. Felice is one of the first double board certified integrative gynecologist in the United States. And I'm proud to say that she got her medical degree from my alma mater, the University of Southern California. And she now has her own clinic, the Integrative Medical Group in Irvine, California, and has been practicing for decades. Her practice has included many holistic approaches to healing, including acupuncture and massage and Chinese medicine way before alternative medicine was even a thing. And you may have already heard Dr. Felice on the podcasting circuit or in popular media like Cosmopolitan, Shape, and Health Magazines talking about her specialty, PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, or menopause, and many other issues related to women's health. And if you haven't yet read her book, Menopause, 50 Things You Need to Know, then grab it on Amazon. Now it's such an easy read and clears a lot of confusion and prepares us for this menopause transition. So now, without further ado, let's meet Dr. Felice Gersh. Welcome. Well, thank you. I I am so happy to be here and that we finally connected. And here we are to talk about our favorite topic, women over 50 and menopause. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. And the first thing we're going to jump right in and just clear some of the confusion on how hormone therapy, you know, many women, including myself, when I was starting to go through this transition, um, are afraid of taking hormones. You know, we don't want hormones. We're scared of those. But what we're learning now is that it may not be all that bad and may be beneficial and protective. So it's really confusing because some doctors say no bad and some say great. What are your thoughts on hormone therapy? Good, bad? In a nutshell, it's good. Okay. So we'll get that right out the gate um, clear. So menopause is a huge metabolic transformation of women and it is universal. There is no escaping menopause. You may delay it a little bit if you have led a very healthy lifestyle, but it's a lot of it's genetically programmed, but you're definitely going to go through menopause. And the average typical age is somewhere from 45 to 55. So right there, that's a decade. And then late menopause is over 55. Early is 40, up to 45, and premature is before 40. So there's a huge range of ages that women have ovarian insufficiency, or you can call it senescence. So I really hate the, the name menopause, number one, because it makes it sound like it's all about having the end of periods, when really the loss of cycles and the loss of having ovulation and a menstrual period is not an early time of the menopause process, which is ovarian aging. If we just think of it as a multi-year process of ovarian decline and aging. 
So it happens in different ages for different women, but it is natural. So somehow the fact that it's natural has made it, well, it's natural. It has to happen and we should just accept it. Well, I'm an MD. We do everything that is unnatural. Okay. <laughs> now, what I try to do is try to do things that are natural to undo things that are negative, but maybe natural. For example, you know, we have in medicine now artificial joints and we have ventricular assist devices and fibrillators you can implant and we put in cataract replacement lenses. None of that is natural. Pharmaceuticals are not natural. So to me, the most natural approach to aging is very simple. I'm a very simple-minded person. Every cell in your body isn't thinking, oh, I am 52 years old. In fact, every cell in your body isn't the same age because some cells turn over like bone cells. Every seven years, you get like a whole new set of bone cells. And you know the GI tract is much rap more rapid, but yet the brain cells, the neurons, you may have some from the day you're born and your myocardial cells, your heart cells can be there. So all the cells in your body are different ages and they're genetically programmed to do whatever they're supposed to do. And they will do it at any age you are if they get what they need. So the foundation of cellular function is to have hormones because this, the hormones, once you understand what a hormone is, it's an information delivery system. So it gives vital information to the cell and every cell in the body basically responds to estrogen. That's like what is not well understood. So there are estrogen receptors and there's not one type of receptor. There's different receptors, different types, alpha and beta and membrane receptors, and they are in every organ of your body. And different types of receptors have a predominance in different organs, and they tell the cell what to do. But, and then of course you need the other ingredients like minerals, and you need to have, you know, vitamins and polyphenols, and you need, you know, macronutrients. So you need energy sources for cells, but it doesn't matter. It's like if you have an orchestra and all the, the, um, musicians are there, they all have their instruments, but no conductor shows up. So if you kind of think of it like estrogen, if you have everything the cell needs, and that's challenging as it is, you know, to have all the nutrients and everything, and then you have the instruction, and that comes from estrogen. It's like, I call it the master of metabolic homeostasis. It regulates every metabolic process in the body for the purpose of successful reproduction. And once reproduction is over and your ovaries no longer are producing estrogen in the form of estradiol, that's the estrogen ovaries make, then no cell in the body can properly have metabolic function. And metabolism is the creation, utilization, storage, distribution of energy, the spark of life. So when you lose your ovarian production of estradiol, every cell in the body is going to function at a suboptimal level. The energy producing organelles, the mitochondria of cells require estradiol for all of its functions, like the what we call the oxidative phosphorylation, where you create energy with the electron transport chain. So to make energy, and then 
when you have these metabolic byproducts that are called superoxides in the mitochondria, they can't get out of the mitochondria and they're like poison, poison. But if you have estradiol, it activates an enzyme, superoxide dismutase, which converts this poison superoxide, two oxygens together, into hydrogen peroxide, which can then diffuse out of the mitochondria into the cell to be converted into harmless water. But without estradiol, your mitochondria are going to poison themselves and they're not going to create energy properly and nothing is going to work right. So of course, estrogen is the hormone of life. I have changed its name. It's called a sex hormone by so many people and doctors. No, we want to call it the life hormone. The miracle is that you can live reasonably like okay-ish, you know, if you don't have ovarian function. And that is because you can make some amount of estrogen locally in different tissues, in organs and cells. We call that intracrine if it's in the cell or paracrine if it's in the organ. So you can convert androgens predominantly from the adrenal gland into estrogens in organs. And that's, of course, how men do it. But they do it predominantly from their testosterone. But women have very small amounts of testosterone relative to men, and they're not really designed to make a lot of locally produced estrogen. But that's what sort of keeps us, you know, like functioning somewhat. But like, if you look at the brain in a reproductive aged male versus a female, the male's brain makes six to eight times as much estradiol as the female brain. After menopause, we can't make enough estradiol. And that's the estrogen that the brain loves, not estrone, not other, because estrogens are a family of hormones. It's not a hormone. And so women, for example, have about two and a half times age matched the incidence of Alzheimer's. By age 65, women have more high blood pressure, more ruptured aneurysms than men. By age 65, 75% of women have hypertension. Women lose the halo effect. I call it, you know, from having estrogen by the time they're 65, some earlier. And women die more from their first heart attack. So I give all this background because estrogen, really, you need to rethink it, like reframe how you think about menopause. It's not about just loss of reproductive capability and periods. It's loss of this vital force of nature, energy force. And, and then you have to struggle to get by. So women have more joint replacements than men. 80% of osteoporotic fractures are women. Women have twice the incidence of depression and anxiety as men. And if women have precursor anxiety or depression history, like postpartum depression, their risk goes up 400% of having a mood disorder after menopause. So women statistically live a little bit longer, but they live with more chronic disease, more pain, more dementia, more osteoarthritis, osteoporosis, and equal amounts of cardiovascular events or more even once they get to like 65 and beyond. So yes, yes, yes. Hormones, giving hormones to women after menopause isn't natural. But remember, as an MD, I try to counter negative natural, you know, like think of a dentist, you know, what they do. Is there anything natural about what dentist does? But yet what would we do without dentists? You know, we would be like George Washington with wooden teeth, right? We don't want that. <laughs> you know, nobody questions plastic surgeons. 
you know, <laughs> like what they do. So here, like, that's another like big deal. In the first five years of menopause, women can lose 40% of the collagen in their body. Oh, 40%. no. Oh, no. <laughs> so collagen is the building block of cartilage. That's why joints start. And bone. And what about skin? Women age visibly, like their skin, because they lose the collagen. And then they run and all get injections and Botox and all. But, you know, you can, um, they're back in the 1990s before the Women's Health Initiative study. That's like the study that destroyed our understanding of hormones for 20 years and still ongoing for so many doctors who see hormones as evil, like you started out and, and making people afraid of something that they should be embracing. You know, when you give it properly and the proper human identical hormones, not like an alien hormone that would never be in a human body. But, you know, it's like, so amazing. But back in the late 1990s and early 2000s, there was a lot of research on topical estrogen for wound healing, like to, you know, wound, I mean, there are wound clinics everywhere because people, when they get older, they don't heal. Like, why don't they heal? Why is it that like people, diabetics and others, older people, they have vascular disease and they have poor wound healing. A lot of that is from estrogen deficiency. The skin actually makes estrogen. But of course, in reproductive age women, they get most of it from their circulation, from making it, making it in their ovaries. But estrogen is responsible for growth factors, creating new blood vessels and new tissue. Without enough estrogen, you can't heal. And of course, part of healing is maintaining, you know, maintaining, you know, the integrity of skin and all the different layers of skin. There are estrogen receptors in every layer of skin. And they did studies back, you know, so 20 plus years ago. And they found that in just two weeks of applying estradiol directly to the skin, just two weeks, significant reduction in wrinkles and rapid progression of wound healing. All this information is kind of like lost into the ether because of the fear that the Women's Health Initiative came out with. And the Women's Health Initiative did not study human hormones. So that's a really key thing. So my analogy is if you do a study with strawberry flavored jelly beans, and it showed increased cavities and diabetes and obesity. But the conclusion is never eat an organic strawberry. That's really what they did. They used conjugated equine estrogens. The horse didn't even want it. They took pregnant horse urine, which had all kinds of crap in it. They don't even know what's in it. It's a variety of stuff. And they call it conjugated because it went through the liver to be modified to turn it from fat soluble to water soluble so that it could go out with the urine. And the horse is getting rid of it. And it has all these equal line estrogens. They're not even human. They're horse estrogens. They're not supposed to be in a human. And they dried it, made it into a tablet, and then fed it to women. Because back 70 years ago, they didn't know how to manufacture human identical estrogen. Just like they couldn't, they didn't have insulin that was human identical. So they had to use it like from a, a rabbit. Well, now diabetics, type ones, they get human identical insulin, but it's manufactured. And we can manufacture human identical progesterone and estradiol, but they didn't have that 70 years ago. That was the best they could do to give women like relief from night sweats and hot flashes. But come on, we've come a long way from 70 years ago. And, but they still were giving it. And that's what they did in the study. And they took it orally, which goes through the liver and it went into the body as 
a very bad array of estrogens. Remember, estrogens are a family, like B vitamins. What's a B vitamin? It could be B1, 2, 3, 4, 5, up to 12, right? It's a family of vitamins. Estrogens don't come in one flavor. The flavor that estrogen comes out of the ovary is called estradiol, 17 beta estradiol. And it works on the whole array of receptors in a balanced way. When you take only certain estrogens, like what would come from Premarin, that's what the name, the brand name for conjugated equine estrogen, it went into the body as an array of different estrogens, very little estradiol, very little estradiol. And so it bound inappropriately and in an unbalanced way to receptors. So it just created a real imbalance in the way the body works. And when you have the balance of estrogen receptor activation in an appropriate way, it if you estrogen does so many things in the body, I mean, it's like, everything, you know, everything sort of relies. Every time I learn something new, I look it up and yep, estrogen has a role in it. You know, it's like, in every, <laughs> but if you think about inflammation, because we talk about inflammation, inflammation underlies all the processes that we associate with the diseases of aging, you know, name any disease of aging, inflammation underlies it. So estrogen in the form of estradiol turns on and turns off the switch for inflammation. Now we need inflammation. That's how we fight off infections like COVID. We have to activate our immune system and that causes like an influx of the immune cells and and platelets get activated so that you can wall off platelets, create growth factors and wall off the infection, like create an abscess cavity or, um, you know, prevent hemorrhage if you're traumatized, like in your bleeding and the immune cells go activated and they start gobbling up phagocytosis, like the pathogens, bacteria and viruses. But you got to turn off that inflammation at the appropriate time. And if you don't have estradiol with the balanced estrogen receptor type, you get stuck in the on mode. So you're always pro-inflammatory. Like when they talked about with COVID, a cytokine storm, like those people that had the so-called cytokine storm, their bodies wouldn't turn off the inflammatory process. If you don't have estradiol, you can't turn off inflammation. You end up with just the, the wrong type of estrogen. It just turns it on and you get stuck in on mode of inflammation. And then when you get the off mode of inflammation, then what you do is you create healing and resolution. So you repair the damage, you create new blood vessels. If you ever wonder, like, how do you create new tissue from a burn? How do you get rid of the dead tissue? And it's all estrogen mediated. Estrogen modulates or regulates all those cellular functions. That's why healing is delayed and everything is just off, you know, off when you're in menopause. So by giving physiologic human identical hormones, the cells respond. They don't know how old they are. They're just genetically programmed. If you maintain proper nutrition and fitness, control stress, environmental toxicants like pesticides and you know plastics and you know um, heavy metals and all the different pollutants that are out there, if we can keep them down as much as possible, the cells in your body can behave like you're young even when you're old. Now, realistically, when we give hormones, it's not like getting a new set of 21-year-old ovaries. We don't have that capability yet. But I'm, we're doing, we're starting a study to try to give hormones to replicate a menstrual cycle because this is not well understood either. When, if we have time and we can talk about how to give hormones, 
you have to give it as close to nature, like a menstrual cycle as you can, because the levels going up and down turn on and off gene expression. So like there are special genes that are called tumor suppressor genes that actually prevent carcinogenesis. And when you have that peak of progesterone in the second half or luteal phase of the menstrual cycle and the peak of estrogen that precedes ovulation, that spike, they actually turn on tumor suppressor genes. Hormones don't give you cancer. I mean, and I love, you know, we can talk for hours about how estrogen doesn't cause breast cancer and having the rhythms and the proper amounts can actually prevent breast cancer. Women who have normal cycles, they're not getting breast cancer. It's postmenopausal women mm -hmm. who don't have cycles and don't have these <laughs> yeah. other women who get breast cancer and young women who get breast cancer get it because of endocrine disruptors, things that are interfering with the normal function of hormones, like, I'm sorry to say, but like birth control pills, which are endocrine disruptors. So I know I go on and on because I obviously just want people to like, no matter what else they remember, know that estrogen in the form of estradiol, the kind that's made by ovaries and the kind we can give to women in menopause is neuroprotective cardioprotective, bone protective. And I could go on and on about these insane drugs that they give women for osteoporosis. When you have estrogen, estradiol available, that not only prevents resorption of bone, but actually promotes bone deposition, growth of bone and repair of bone. I mean, it's just so sad. Like I'm, my heart is broken that yeah. so many women are afraid of human identical hormones. And even doctors who want to give it, they don't even understand how to give it mm. because they think they have to suppress bleeding. Mm. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so they keep giving these tiny, tiny doses of estrogen, like tiny. And then they give progesterone every day to suppress the estrogen effects. So it's like, what are you doing? I mean, mm. it's like, oh my gosh. So it's first you have to embrace estrogen and progesterone, and then you got to get it in the right amount. It's like a little tiny dab is not going to do it. Okay. <laughs> you, need, you need physiologic levels, like similar to the average levels of a healthy 20 something. Well, you have unraveled so many things that I want to talk about, and you certainly are pro hormone, hormone therapy. I'm so glad you explained so much of, of why and the benefits and how protective it can be. I like that you said, well, you know, natural, what is natural really? Um, and we had this discussion with skincare as well. I, you know, things that are, there's nothing natural. Uh, we had a great discussion with Dr. Nicola Conlin and, and a cosmetic scientist who says it's impossible to make an unnatural product just because everything natural is chemical in the end. So, and, and what you're doing is actually, yes, it's natural to lose our hormones, but yet the, the side effects of that, of going through menopause, well, we can optimize it. So I heard the word optimization, right? So I want women to understand that natural is just doesn't mean anything in this world. And we uh, certainly are, uh, in my book, I think 
it's wise to open your eyes to hormone therapy if it's going to make your life much easier and much better and protect you. And you also talked a bit about the different types of estrogen. I think a lot of women don't know there's estrone, estriol, estradiol, and you you popped up estradiol several times. And another thing I would like you to talk about, because I think you know the women who are listening now, they may go, okay, well, yeah, I'm going to consider this. I'll talk to my doctor about it. Now, you said that not every doctor knows how to give this, and this is really concerning. And this then again puts maybe some of the women who are on the fence, again, very scared again, because they said, well, I don't want to go to a doctor who's not knowing what they're doing because I don't want to mess around with my hormones. I want it to be optimized and do something something positive. So what would you say? I would say first, are there any women who really need to be cautious about taking it and um, and maybe they're not good candidates or they need to be worried a bit, a bit more cautious? And then two, how does a woman find a doctor that understands what they're doing when there's so few doctors, as I understand 91% of the doctors out there are, are not, at least in the US, um, trained for, for to, to be able to have a discussion and, and, and about menopause and, and give hormone therapy. One in, I think there was something about it's a statistics fewer, one in, one in five gynecology residents in the US gets formal training on menopause. So how is a woman supposed to navigate this, this whole journey when her doctor can't even really help her? Oh, I wish I had all those answers, but num- number one, know what you want to get. So that's like that I can at least give that foundation. So then you can like screen a doctor and what they're saying. Now, they did actually do a survey of OBGYNs. 25% of OBGYNs will never prescribe hormones for women. So 75% will, but they're still generally of the mindset that was set by the Women's Health Initiative, which is the smallest possible dose for the shortest period of time, because they're still seeing hormones as evil, you know, and they'll use it because, um, well, the symptoms of night sweats and hot flashes are so overwhelming, but they don't want to do it for very long and they want to use a tiny dose. Those are not thinking the way that we should think that hormones are about supporting every organ system and supporting quality of life and health of everything to optimize health. They're thinking it as just a little means of suppressing a few specific symptoms. So even the ones who are prescribing are often of the wrong approach to hormones. So what a woman wants when she's looking for someone to prescribe is someone who is of the mindset that hormones are about life and optimal health and and that it's okay to prescribe for the entire life of the woman. Like there's no end date. Like if, like if somebody had their thyroid removed, they wouldn't say, well, now you're 70, you don't need to take thyroid hormone. <laughs> I mean, like you need it for your whole life. Okay, so yeah. it's a life hormone, you need it for life. Now you want an, a doctor who understands rhythms. Now there's been so much talk about circadian rhythm. That's the 24 hour rhythms of the day. and Turns out that when you combine the clock genes of the body and what we call associated clock genes, like 90% of all the genes in the body have some relationship to timing of the circadian rhythm, the clock genes and associated. Well, women 
have other rhythms besides circadian, the 24-hour. We have a lunar rhythm. It's not an accident that the menstrual cycle is classically like 28 days. And so we need to have the rhythm, the on, off, the ebb and flow. So we want estrogen to be at a physiologic level. So we don't want it to be the bare minimum that can suppress night sweats and hot flashes. We want it to be at a level, we want it to be at a level that can help support optimal function of every organ system. And the time of the menstrual cycle, when the estrogen level is the lowest, is when a woman is bleeding. And that is a pro-inflammatory time because the uterine lining is dying, there are dead cells, it's coming out. You're activating inflammatory prostaglandins in the uterine cavity to create a little bit, hopefully a little bit, of uterine contractions, sometimes known as menstrual cramps, but it should not be extreme, it should be very mild. And so you get this cramping to expel, you know, and the, the hormones are low, the progesterone is gone now. And that is a more pro-inflammatory state. That's not what we're looking to create. The optimal amount of estrogen should be more the average. So it would be a much higher level than that little bit that you would have during the lowest time of estrogen production. So we have to have a doctor that understands that there's a dose relationship to the effect. Okay. So you have to have a doctor that measures estradiol in the blood because that's the only thing that we have that's validated, not the saliva, because the saliva, maybe someday that will be useful. But right now it's just not validated. We don't know what it means. So don't get a test that we don't know how to interpret. What about the urine, the Dutch test, for example? Urine is, uh, is more accurate, but um, I wouldn't like, like monitor your estrogen levels by doing urine when we can get a direct effect from the blood. Also, um, and I, I don't have any problem with the Dutch test, but I wouldn't get it in a postmenopausal woman who's on hormone therapy because that's real. it's really more for a woman who is in the reproductive years and you're looking at her own endogenous production of, of hormone, her own production. What about a woman who's perimenopause, is going through that transition, still bleeding, still has a cycle, but maybe not oh, as- Well, I love doing menstrual mapping and that you can get from a couple of different companies, including- you know, from the company that makes the Dutch test, that is actually fascinating. I've done a whole like series of them where you take women who are still having cycles, but they're not feeling right, you know, but they're still having cycles. So normally the conventional doctor would never think of giving them hormones or if they give them hormones for whatever reason, they always just want to give them progesterone. It's like, like there's this, <laughs> you, know, you just give progesterone, like, and no, don't give any estrogen. But if you do the menstrual mapping where you actually use urine tests, like 11 different points, and this is, these are naturally natural cycles, not, not giving hormones. And then, so it plots out and you actually see, here's your estrogen. And I see this, this here, so the estrogen spike that triggers ovulation, you get the estrogen spike, then you get the LH spike and you have ovulation. So the estrogen spike should normally be like really high, a big spike. It's like a little bump, just this little <laughs> bitty thing. So they actually ovulated, but it's like really puny, okay? And then their estrogen level should go up like a nice little mound and their progesterone should go up like a nice mound. But everything is like, like in miniaturized zone, you know? So you get a little bitty bit of estrogen up and a little bit of progesterone. So, I mean, this woman needs hormones and we know the perimenopause Remember, we have to stop thinking about menopause as you cross a finish line. 
It's a process. It's a journey. And women during the declining years of hormone production, which we can do, we can measure like with these wonderful urine tests for menstrual, you know, mapping of the menstrual cycle, we can see that their hormone production is so suboptimal that supplementing them with hormones will so improve their health. We know that women start losing bone. They start having word finding problems. Like, you know, they think they're going demented and it sort of feels that way because they can't remember names. You know, like they're good at adjectives and verbs, but they can't remember nouns. So they can't remember anything. You know, what was the name? What was that? What was that? You know? their sleep quality goes down. Even if they're not having night sweats or hot flashes, the quality of sleep, because it's all estrogen modulated and their digestion changes. They have more acid reflux and, you know, digestive problems because the whole autonomic nervous system, that's the neurological system. That's the sympathetic and parasympathetic that regulate everything we don't think about, which includes peristalsis, you know, the, the contractions that move food down the whole GI tract. And um, as well, you know, things like sweating, you know, our temperature, our pulse. So what happens is in the perimenopause, a lot of women will start having palpitations because they have loss of enough parasympathetic, too much sympathetic, more like the stress response is like up on top and stress activates inflammation. So they're getting more inflamed. They have poor GI function, which leads to poor digestion. And that they don't have proper production of digestive enzymes. They're often their gallbladder doesn't contract as well. They get gallstones. I mean, like, oh my gosh, they get this leaky gut. And all this is happening in the perimenopause. All this is ignored. But when we look at the menstrual mapping, I'm so glad you brought that up. In perimenopausal women, we can see, even though they're cycling, that their hormone production is so suboptimal. And if we supplement them with hormones, we can help to prevent a lot of these really unhealthy, both in terms of quality of life and physical status, sequela of these hormonal deficiency or insufficiency states that are perimenopausal so that you don't lose a lot of bone and you don't lose cartilage and you don't lose all these things and have all these problems occurring that can be several years before that last period occurs. No, and we never know when the last period is anyway, because you have to look backward. But that's an arbitrary definition. The official definition of menopause is 12 consecutive months without a spontaneous bleed. It doesn't mean it's a natural period, because nobody knows if a woman bleeds, like she didn't bleed for six months, then she suddenly has bleeding. What the heck is that? Does that mean she ovulated? Probably not. That's probably that she has unopposed estrogen. She's not ovulating, but she's still making some estrogen, caused the uterine lining to get thick enough, it became unstable, and then you just had what we call dysfunctional uterine bleeding. That's probably not like a real cycle anyway. And by the way, that goes along with the craziness where they say women who have late onset of menopause have a higher risk of breast cancer. And that that is pervasive. So like the longer you have your hormones, the more likely you're going to get breast cancer. Totally wrong. Women who have early onset of their periods do so because they're typically metabolically unhealthy girls. They are circadian rhythm dysfunction. They've had too much light exposure, not enough sleep. So their brains think they're older than they are. They're advanced aging in their brain. They're often obese and childhood obesity is so in the news now. It's a huge mm -hmm. problem. And when you have obesity, you have fat and you're inflamed and the fat tissue 
up uh, with the inflammation, upregulates the enzyme aromatase in fat tissue to make estrone from the circulating androgens from the adrenal gland. That's how men get men boobs. Okay. And it's, it's not because they suddenly got ovaries. Okay. And <laughs> it's a sign of metabolic dysfunction. Okay. And unhealthiness. And, and then the late end, many of those women that continue to have bleeding, it's not because they're ovulating. It's because they have all this exogenous, what we'll say ectopic fat tissue that's all over all this visceral fat that, and they're so inflamed, these women, they're making all this estrone in fat tissue. And when you have a lot of inflammation, it actually blocks the enzyme to convert estrone to estradiol. So they're stuck with the estrone, which only works to turn on inflammation. Okay. It works on the alpha receptor only. And that's the one that's on the innate immune cells, the cells that initiate inflammation response. So that's not oh, that's good. Not good. So that's why these overweight and obese postmenopausal, well, they're perimenopausal or postmenopausal women, they keep bleeding because their uterine lining is inflamed. And they're making all this extra estrone from their, their visceral fat and all the fat in their body. And it causes the uterine lining to thicken and then just gets unstable and bleeds. That's not normal cycles, but the doctors aren't distinguishing. So they say, oh, see, they're still bleeding. So that's a late onset of menopause and it's associated with higher risk of breast cancer. No, these are un unhealthy, metabolically unhealthy women who have extreme excessive amounts of fat tissue, unfortunately, they're highly inflamed and the inflammation is everywhere in breast, in uterine lining. So they have higher rates of breast cancer and endometrial uterine cancer because those are the estrogen receptor positive cancers and the estrogen doesn't cause the cancer. That's like really important takeaway. Inflammation underlies and metabolic dysfunction underlies the cancer because it creates DNA instability. But if these cancers have estrogen receptor positive, and it's usually the alpha receptor, of course, then the estrogen that's being produced, not by ovaries, not a beautiful normal cycle and rhythm and estradiol, but this fat tissue that's making this aberrant amount of estrone because of this chronic unrelenting state of inflammation that's upregulating the enzyme to make estrone, then you end up feeding. I call it like an accelerant, like gasoline on a fire. The gasoline didn't start the fire, but if you pour gasoline on the fire, it's going to explode. So you have the perfect setup for explosive hormone dependent, estrogen dependent cancers. But the underlying problem was the inflammation, the obesity, and the lack of cycles, the lack of proper control of the immune system, which comes from having hormones that are the right hormones in the right rhythms that controls the immune system. So I look at the immune system in women who are not on hormones and are metabolically unhealthy as like weapons of mass destruction without any controls. So you have this immune system that's going crazy in your brain, creating neuroinflammation because there's an embedded immune system in the brain called the microglia. And also the peripheral immune system can get into the brain. And without proper estradiol, they're like, they don't have the breaks. They don't have the control. They don't have the off switch. So they go into this chronic state of pro-inflammation and they, these immune cells, these modified specialized macrophages like the microglia, they have 
the production capability of enzymes that can dissolve tissue. So they can dissolve healthy neurons because there's no control of them. They're not designed to do that. They're designed to destroy invading pathogens or to clean up damaged tissue if you have like brain trauma and so on, which by the way, women do way better than men in the premenopausal years with stroke or brain trauma in terms of healing, but not postmenopause. And then in the bone, there are the embedded immune cells that are specialized macrophages that are gobblers. Those are called osteoclasts and they're all controlled by estradiol. But when you don't have estradiol, if you only have estrone, you have the pro-inflammation on switch. So you have your specialized osteoclasts and all they know is gobbling up and they're gobbling up the bone without any control. And the ones in the brain are gobbling up the neurons and damaging and put, and that's with the, the um, amyloid beta. That's why all these drugs for Alzheimer's don't work because they're not getting to the root cause of why is this amyloid beta even being produced? They're just trying to get rid of it. But the amyloid beta is a response to an uncontrolled pro-inflammatory immune system in the brain. I mean, so we understand this. We have all the science. We just now have to clinically apply it. I feel so sorry for all the brilliant researchers who put all these amazing articles out that publish them. They're all available on PubMed and everything. And, and like the clinicians, they're not using this vital information, this research clinically to change how we treat women and understand all these processes and, and view menopause for what it really is. And I wish we would just change the name into just ovarian aging process or something, you know, because menopause just totally conditions everybody to think of it as crossing a finish line. And it's like, I've had women who say, well, I, I didn't have any bleeding for 11 months. And then suddenly I had bleeding. So I guess I'm not in the menopause. It's like, oh my God, that bleeding that you had after 11 months was 99.9% dysfunctional uterine bleeding. It wasn't that you suddenly ovulated 11 months later. Um, it's a sign that you have hormonal imbalances and that you're probably producing too much estrone from your fat tissue. You don't have any progesterone. You don't have like the off switch to balance the on switch. You don't have any of the balance. So these are labels. I hate labels. Stop with the labels. We want to understand processes and address processes. Yeah. You know, like I have that all the time. Do I have this diagnosis? It's like, I actually don't care what label we give it. I just want to understand what's going on. And I want to know, then have a plan. I want to have a plan for how to address this. You know, it's like autoimmune disease. They all have the same underlying ideologies. You know, it just manifests in different tissues, but it's all the same general process. And it usually resolve, you know, involves, and women, by the way, make up what? 80% of autoimmune patients. And after menopause, what autoimmune disease really skyrockets? Rheumatoid arthritis. And um, that's, you know, from the gut, bacteria becoming abnormal. We call that dysbiosis. And every woman when she transitions into menopause has an altered gut microbiome. And we now know the gut microbiome is like the control center of the body. And, and that becomes abnormal. And then they don't have the proper mucus protectant. So they all get impaired gut barrier, also known as leaky, leaky gut. And the immune cells, remember 70, 80% of the immune system lines the gut. And all those immune systems become weapons of mass destruction without optimal control because they all go into sort of on switch mode and they they respond to any inflammatory trigger at a much 
greater escalated rate. So a little bit of bacteria and toxins coming out of the intestine through the leaky gut, the, the cells that line the gut have little fibers that connect them. They call them tight junctions. And when you have the wrong gut bacteria, you lose the protective coating of the mucus. All epithelial linings in the body are protected by a mucus coating, including the arteries. We now know that we call that the glycocalyx. So you lose that protective mucus coating and then the toxins in the gut actually get right up to the lining cells and then the little fibers get broken down and the cells start drifting apart. And then the toxins in the gut can get between those cells into the body where the immune cells are. And it triggers a massive inflammatory response of inflammatory cytokines, which then travel through the body, creating neuroinflammation and bone inflammation and joint inflammation and vascular inflammation, which underlies all these diseases of aging. So we've got to, and then recognizing, which most doctors have no clue, that the gut microbiome to function properly, to have the right composition, requires the proper hormones. That's another interesting thing. That one of the drugs that's so popular now is like Ozempic, Wagovi. These are the GLP-1 agonists. So GLP-1, these are not real GLP-1. That's why they call it agonists. It's like a mimic. Okay, it's a drug mimic. The GLP-1, glucagon-like peptide one, it's like a little peptide slash, you know, like hormone, you know, it's a matter, it's just a little chain of amino acids. And they're made by embedded cells in the gut, also in the lining, also in the brain. And these, this particular peptide controls appetite and fat burning. So this is all the rage. Everyone wants their Ozempic shot to lose weight. It's like, oh my gosh, it is like huge <laughs> demand. Well, what hormone controls GLP-1 production. Uh-oh, it's estradiol. And women, oh my God. No way. Yeah. And <laughs> you can also increase production of GLP-1, not just by having proper amounts of estradiol, which you need, but also by eating more foods with healthy fibers. Okay. So by eating the mm -hmm. right food and mm -hmm. having the right hormones, guess what you won't do? You won't get that explosion of visceral fat production. So everyone knows how women's bodies trans form when they transition into menopause. They lose their cute little hourglass waist and they um, get all this like the muffin tops and all. And sometimes I have patients say, I'm eating less and exercising more. And I don't know, my body is just transforming. I don't like it. It's like, because all of that's controlled by estradiol. And if you don't have estradiol, then you're going to have the default, which is inflammation and visceral fat production and, and all this dysregulation. But maintaining at an early, the earlier you start, the better, like perimenopause is the time to start going on hormones and monitoring, like with a, a menstrual mapping test. And then starting on hormone supplementation, well, your ovaries are in the decline before they actually have, they're in the dust. And we can prevent this body morphing where you get this ridiculous transformation and then, which underlies, of course, then you have all the inflammation and you have the gut dysbiosis and all this stuff. We can prevent this. Okay, so that's what I, that's where I can shine. I can do prevention. Like I personally, and nobody does, by the way, don't know how to fix end-stage anything. Like I can't fix end-stage osteoporosis when your bones are almost non-existent. I can't fix end-stage dementia. I can't fix end-stage heart failure, 
you know, things like, or end-stage renal disease when people are on dialysis. I, I can't fix end-stage disease anything when all your joints have no cartilage. I can't fix that. Nobody can. But we can be proactive and basically, literally, prevent every one of those things. We can prevent everything. Hey, I'm butting in for a quick second. If you enjoy the content brought to you in this podcast, consider supporting Hack My Age by becoming a patron on patreon.com. This is where you can drop a tip or become a member for the price of a coffee. Members get special material, free coaching, and private Zoom calls. Join us by going to patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Hack My Age. Thanks for your support. Now let's get back to the podcast. I have a question. It's amazing, actually. It is amazing what you're saying. And I want to go back to the testing because as I understand through the perimenopause transition, your hormones are like a shit show, just up, down, and and it's a moving target. So if you were to test, I'm I don't know whether it's whether it's for urine or or blood, it could be one thing one day and something else the next. So how do you prescribe, like when you're looking to get, let's say, say the perimenopausal woman going through this menopause transition, it, and and let's take the example of me who have no hormones when I've tested, I'm like, oh my gosh, my hormones are all gone, but yet I still cycle and I have no symptoms. So what do you do for somebody who's like that, where you go, well, okay, do I do this for prevention anyways, or should I wait until you have symptoms or does just, you think every woman going through this perimenopause transition would be a great time, no matter what, whether you have your hormones, no hormones or what, just how do you figure this all out? So I, I do love data. So symptoms, of course, are a form of data. So if a woman comes and says, the quality of my sleep is deteriorated, my mood is deteriorated, my energy, my ability to make muscle, you know, my, I'm not feeling well. You know, if of course, if they have night sweats and hot flashes, but even we take that out of the, the equation, they're, they're starting to have like some palpitations. So remember, the um, they have vaginal dryness, you know, sex sex drive is way down or because estrogen is often not recognized is actually part of having sex drive. It's not just testosterone, ladies, you need estrogen, estradiol. And so, you know, there's obviously changes that are happening. You know, you could, so it doesn't have to be night sweats and hot flashes. And then I do vascular ultrasound. So I can see if the carotid artery, the lining, they call it the intima, if it's like deteriorating, we can see this on ultrasound. We can look at the aorta, we can look at the leg arteries, we can't look at the coronary arteries, the heart arteries are too small to see, but we can look at so many other arteries. And we can see early onset of vascular disease and changes because estradiol is essential for vascular health, it triggers enzymes like endothelial nitric oxide synthase, which is what leads to the production of nitric oxide, a gas that maintains vascular health. And you lose that when and there are there are blood markers, like we can get ADMA, which is a surrogate marker for nitric oxide. So I love tests. So if a woman, if I test her and she shows signs of inflammation, like with, I measure inflammation markers, you know, if her cholesterol is going up because lack of estradiol will increase cholesterol, both production and less ability to take it out of the blood because cholesterol, old cholesterol is removed from the blood by docking. Now, cholesterol doesn't travel around the blood by itself. It needs like little carriers. They're called apolipoproteins. So I think of them as like little bubbles and different color bubbles. So your cholesterol is in your little bubble and the ones that are being 
being removed from the blood for elimination from the body, they have to dock to receptors on the liver called LDL receptors. Those receptors are maintained and produced under the auspices, of course, of estradiol. So when you don't have enough estradiol, your liver will produce more, partly in response to inflammation in the gut. The gut, you know, the intestines connect through the production of metabolites like short chain fatty acids, there's communication between what goes on in the gut and goes on in the liver. The liver becomes more inflamed and dysregulated and it's a manufacturing center. It makes too much cholesterol, triglycerides and glucose. When you have dysregulated microbiome in the gut, it changes how the liver works. And then the liver can't pull out through the LDL receptors, the old cholesterol. So if you see blood tests changing, those are great clues. And these can be in women who say, I don't feel differently. I do body compositions. So if we see, oh my gosh, your fat to muscle ratio is not really healthy. You know, that's changing. So we have many ways that we can monitor. So I always believe in monitoring and measuring so that we can see how people are doing, you know, not just symptoms, although symptoms really matter. And then if we give some little background estrogen, estradiol, and progesterone, just like a little background, that's not like birth control pills. It's not suppressing your own production. So it's not suppressive. It's additive. Now, one of the reasons why you said, you know, the hormones are a shit show, they are, because you can look at estrogen and this is what happens. It's like the worst stock market ever. It goes, <laughs> the trajectory is always down. But you have sometimes spikes up yeah. along the so it's going down, but along the path down, you'll have sometimes upward spikes. So why do you have these crazy, sometimes really high levels of estradiol? And in fact, it's important to know that perimenopausal women have the highest rate of twins, fraternal twins, because sometimes what happens is their ovaries still can make estrogen. They still have eggs. It's just a reduced supply. And so the brain through the pituitary puts out signals to the ovary, the gonadotropins, FSH, LH, to make more estrogen when the level starts to drop. And sometimes there's an overshoot. So you'll get like a really high production of LH and FSH. And then the, the ovary can respond. It's kind of like, I mean, this is a bad analogy, but like, you know, the horse is on its last legs and the Pony Express has to deliver this message. So the, the guy starts whipping the horse. So he, the horse just has like this burst of speed, but it's short term. And then the poor horse collapsed. But there are no horses injured in the making of this story. Okay. <laughs> so the bottom line is that the ovaries, it's like, I, another thing is like, like if you do a fireworks show, and before the end of the fireworks show, there's like this burst of light and all this fireworks in the sky. And you think it's over, but no, it goes dark. And then there's another one. And then the, finally, there's the last hurrah. So that's kind of like the ovaries. There'll be this giant burst, you know, everything's quiet. And then giant burst of hormones. And then it's quiet again. Then eventually it's gone. If we give a little bit of supplemental hormones, it will keep the brain sensors from saying, oh, there's not enough. And then it overshoots the gonadotropins. And then you have this true gigantic production of, of estradiol. And then, you know, that's what gives women these crazy migraines and breast tenderness and mood swings during the perimenopause because they have giant up and then giant down and then giant up, and but it's still going down. So if we give a little foundation, then the brain sensors will never get into that 
well, it's way too low. It just modulates the brain sensors. So you, you're still going to have some ups and downs because you're, we're not changing how your ovaries are working, but we're giving sort of like a foundation amount so it can never go below, like sort of a basement amount. It can't, the estradiol cannot go below a basement amount. So you'll never get the extreme highs and the extreme lows that that really triggers so many horrible symptoms. And as well, a lot of women in the perimenopause will get acne and facial hair because they have high production, not just of FSH, which triggers the estrogen production, but LH, which triggers the production of the precursor to estradiol, which is testosterone. So you get actually an and everyone thinks, oh, you need more testosterone. No, you don't. You better check it. Because a lot of perimenopausal women have increased production of testosterone because that's a totally different skill set than estrogen production. You can make testosterone your whole life from your ovaries, but it does go down as you age. But around perimenopause, it often spikes up. And then women have like, what is this? Am I going, talk about like puberty. We talked about it like going reverse puberty. Like, why am I getting like, am I going to like teenage years? Why am I getting acne? And what's with this facial hair? Because they have actually increased production of testosterone because of this LH surging. But by giving a little background hormone will prevent the FSH surge so you don't get this giant spike of estrogen on the trajectory downward and you won't get the giant production of LH which triggers more testosterone production so you don't get suddenly acne and you're losing your hair too. You get androgenic alopecia and hirsutism and acne, just what every woman who's 48 needs in life, you know? But, you know, so that's why we can measure and monitor. <laughs> and it's true. You could pick one random cycle and do a menstrual mapping. And maybe that's not a typical. Sometimes you have to do it more than once, you know, or you look at the total picture, you know, and, and put it together sort of based on clinical presentation mm -hmm, plus mm -hmm. laboratory testing. But in the end, we know we can figure out what is what's best to do, recognizing that every woman is a moving target during the perimenopause. She's definitely, and we never can forget that she may, you know, if we're not careful, she may end up with a set of twins. <laughs> yes, you can still get pregnant. So I'm going to let you go. So I know you have to leave at the hour, but I'm going to fast fire questions like yes, no, to make sure I understand and that we, what I got is, is clear. So one, hormones are good. Oh, hormones are great. <laughs> Two, hormone therapies. And you say yes or no. You agree with me or no? Yes. Two, uh, hormone therapy, nothing to worry about. It's been debunked uh, by the, the the Women's Health Initiative has been debunked. So hormone therapy is something to consider. Yes. Yes. And make sure it's human bioidentical. And I didn't really get into it that much, but have your doctor give it in a rhythmic cycle, right? So don't take a little estrogen and a little progesterone every day to try to prevent uterine bleeding. That is not physiologic and it's not optimal. And accept that when you get a little bleeding, you're not fertile. It's artificially created blood, but it's real. I mean, it's created artificially, but it's real blood. But so when you get this pretend period every month, I want you to celebrate it as a sign that your hormones are doing many good things throughout your body, not just creating a uterine lining, but helping to regenerate all the tissues of your body. So celebrate the bleed. Don't let any doctor say no woman after menopause should have a period, pretend period. It, it's not natural. I know it's not natural. I'm trying to prevent all the natural sequela. So 
do it to mimic a menstrual cycle because that's the healthiest <laughs> time of a female's life. So I just want to make sure they got that. Yeah. So three, yeah. Talk to your doctor about pulsing or cycling your hormone therapy. Well, the fourth question I have, well, then what if that doctor doesn't know? And what does a person do when they're just, yeah, with the doctors, I don't understand what you're doing. They find a new doctor? Where? You know, if the doctor refuses to um, to give you what you're asking for, then there's, I don't or doesn't know, right? Or does, has no clue or, or, and says, or not even know, know what, what they're about. doing, right? Hormones are killers. You know, it's like, okay, you know, you have to move on. Now, of course, I would love to see everybody in my office. I realize that not everybody can come to see me because of licensing rules. Um, if you're in a different state, you do need to still cross over into California to see me um, once or twice a year in person, but you know, this is Southern California. Everybody wants to come here for a vacation. So, you know, it is what it is, but I can do other visits with telemedicine, <laughs> but, um, but you know, because of I'm a California doctor, I have to see you in California. You're just going to have to go on a search because you, you said it earlier. And it's so true. There are very few doctors that even the ones who are willing to prescribe hormones, which is Remember, it's it's not even 100% of OBGYNs. And then you add in family docs and internists, it's going to be a way, way lower percentage that are even willing to give any hormone. And, and embracing hormones for what they are um, is even going to be a smaller percentage. So you may have to really go on a search. I mean, because I don't know doctors in every state, I mean, that actually understand hormones, even so-called, I mean, because anybody can mm -hmm. label themselves anything, you know? Like I believe in credentials as you do, but you know, anyone can put a label on themselves and nobody's going to say you can't do that. So doctors who say I'm a functional medicine doctor, and many of them are very good at helping like deal with leaky gut and nutrition problems, but they're not very, they're really not that good at hormones. They don't, or they took a course, but the person teaching the course also wasn't very good at hormones. So you really have to look around. Don't just go by somebody's label because labels don't really tell you what they do or believe in or know, unfortunately. So it's it's really hard. It's very painful. That I mean, That's why I am doing everything in my power. I keep writing articles to try to, I call it crossover, You know, not just talking to my own little clan here, my own little tribe, but like I have another article that will be coming out in the European Cardiology Journal, which is like the most prestigious, like widely read cardiology journal, talking about how estrogen is so safe for women's cardiovascular systems. Most cardiologists are afraid, you know, even worse than OBGYNs, <laughs> you know? So I keep writing articles, they get published, but like, that's why I feel so aligned with the researchers who do all this wonderful research showing all the enormous benefits of estradiol in the body and then they're not clinically applied you know so i keep trying so i'm i'm on a mission too to to educate doctors and patients alike and i don't have a simple solution to how to find the best doctor but anyone who wants to come and see me that's the i mean that i offer and um you know and if they you know want to bounce something off of me we can always do like one telemedicine visit you know Oh, fantastic. What about if someone were to visit you from out of state or out of the country, and then they they go home, could you continue that conversation on telemedicine? Right. The, um, the, the way the, I mean, these crazy rules, we should have one license for the whole country, for the whole world, but we don't, for the world. 
And so there are no laws regulating the world <laughs> practice of medicine, but there are national. But um, you, you're supposed to see the doctor in person for a new onset of a problem. That's why it's always good if you have, a, I want people who are in another state to have someone locally, you know, it could be a family doctor. I mean, of course, every place has urgent care, but most urgent care doctors don't have a clue. But if somebody has a problem and there's no, no one local that can take care of it, then they would have to come and see me. But the vast majority of my out-of-state patients don't have to come at, at most twice a year to see me at most, um, just once a year. If they're simple and they're, you know, they don't have a lot of issues, mm -hmm. they're like even just once a year. And they only, I only like for patients that are on hormones, once they're okay, you know, it is always like a little flurry of activity in the beginning, but once things are stable and everything is right, I only require like two visits a year. I mean, I don't like make people, I don't churn people. They don't have to come and have lots of appointments for no reason. So, uh, so it's really not, um, it's not that involved or expensive because I don't like make come all the time. It's just in the beginning, you know, when we're just getting started, mm -hmm. sometimes there's a little bit more activity. But generally, um, a lot of people can manage from out of state. But, you know, I encourage people to look locally and see if they can find somebody. I'm not trying to make people get on a plane. But, you know, I just don't know. But, you know, there's more, there's, like you mentioned yeah. in the beginning, there is more progress. There are more OBGYNs that are willing to give hormones. And if a woman says, I really want it, in a rhythmic fashion where I have a, a, a bleed every month, many of them, if you ask for it, they'll do it. So, you know, ask for what you want and make sure that they monitor levels because that's the other thing, you know, we give our hormones for estrogen, the estradiol through the skin. Well, the skin was not evolved as a hormone delivery site. And the skin is actually technically a barrier. It's supposed to keep things out. So some women don't absorb well. And when you give, you could give the same dose of estrogen to 10 women and you'll have 10 different levels in their body. So you really have to monitor and measure. And sometimes we have to be innovative. That's when we have to use compounded estradiol products because the commercial estradiol products, maybe they're not absorbing, you know, and then we have to use um, compounded and we have to, we have to do what we have to do to actually get it in the body and get it up to a physiologic appropriate level and not it's for some women their skin I, I mean I say well maybe you have like really great skin because I can't get the hormones through it um it's like acting like a really good barrier maybe it's keeping out all the other poisons too but you know but the bottom line is this is innovative the idea of giving medication through the skin but not everyone absorbs the same way so you really need to work with someone who's on board with you to get get physiologic levels given in a pulsed way and do your searching, see what you can find locally. Thank you. This is such a great conversation. Please, anyone who wants to reach out to Dr. Felice Gersh, you can go to her website, integrativemgi.com. I'll have links in the show notes with her phone number and anything else. And I would love for every single one of you to go check out her ebook, Menopause SOS. What This is just basically showing you what you can do from a lifestyle point of view to optimize your health during this menopause transition. And my favorite, Menopause, 50 Things You Need to Know. <laughs> This is a great, another great book I got on Amazon. Uh, please check it out. Thank you so much, Dr. Felice. Is there any last words that you'd like to say before you have to go? Well, I'd like to say that 
defining the problem we started talking about, defining the problem is the first step in solving the problem. Understanding what the menopausal transition means to your body is the first step, but there is so much we can do um, to give every woman what maybe half of her life, sometimes half of a woman's life may be spent in menopause to make those amazing years, productive, happy, healthy years. But we need to get on it and we need to think out of the box sometimes because sometimes the box is not full of goodies. So we got to think out of the box, embrace hormones, understand what they mean to a woman and just keep moving forward and looking to a beautiful future. Oh, thank you so much and have a great day. Hey, did you enjoy the podcast? Don't forget to subscribe to be notified of all the new episodes and leave a review to help build the tribe. It's a small act of kindness that brings me big benefits and helps others find this amazing content. The best thing you can do is share. Sharing is caring. Statements made on this podcast have not been evaluated by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Anything we say or products we mention are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Information provided by this podcast is not a substitute for personal medical advice and not intended to replace a one-on-one relationship with a qualified healthcare professional. It is intended as a sharing of knowledge and information from the personal research and experience of me and my guests.